This is Retails, Conversations with Profit Protection, the podcast that talks direct with retailers about all things loss prevention, with your host, Nicole Smith. Did you know that the Profit Protection Future Forum is the only not-for-profit industry body promoting the interests of retail loss prevention professionals in Australia and New Zealand? Hi there and welcome to the show. Today I'm joined by Dr. Jacqueline Drew, Senior Lecturer, School of Criminology and Criminal Justice at Griffith University, and Neil Redfern, Managing Director of Redfern Retail Risk and one of our PPFF committee members. Welcome to the podcast, Jackie and Neil, and thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Nicole. Thank you. So the purpose of the Australian Online Fraud Forum is to meet regularly to discuss Australian online fraud activities, provide subject matter expertise and discuss issues related to online fraud. And it's about bringing people together from the industry who share a common interest in fighting online fraud, provide the means by which they can easily communicate and share ideas and project an industry voice on the issues and challenges faced by the industry in general. Uh, Both Jackie and Neil are also members of the Australian Online Fraud Forum, and there are new fraud trends that have popped up over the last 18 months as we see more traffic through an e-commerce channel. We have had um, AOF members on the podcast a couple of times before, so now's a good time as ever to look over and see what AOF do and how they support the retail industry. So, Neil, I'll start with you. Big picture, what's the world of online fraud and uh, looking like at the moment? Is it all all dire or doom and gloom? Yeah, thanks, Nicole. Um, look, it's certainly a challenge. Uh, I won't um, I won't disagree with that um, by any stretch of the imagination. The um, the world of online fraud, um, the world of e-commerce in general, um, locally and internationally, is absolutely booming at the moment. Um, and yes, there's there's a result of that um, stemming from COVID. However. The, the sales channel around e-commerce um, as it relates to all the industries is, is forever growing. So we're seeing a lot of um, escalation uh, in that sales channel as a mean um, to transact. Um, from an AOF perspective um, or an Australian online fraud uh, forum perspective, I think you when you introduced, um, it, it, it really just goes to show um, and really puts a, um, a focus on the fact that the the range of things that we deal with in in relation to the online space is so wide and diverse. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it is it is forever evolving and forever changing. Um, and one of the things that I like about um, our AOF mission statement and and why we exist and and what we're trying to do within the industry really all comes back to learning. Um, the fraud risk landscape around online fraud is just continually evolving. And as practitioners. Um, Whilst I'd like to think that we all all know about all these things, the harsh reality is is that because it is moving so rapidly and we're in a constant um, situation of change, we're constantly having to learn all the time. So forums like AOF um, and industry um, professional groups of this nature are so critically important at the moment because it's a way of us, um, an ability for us to share information and provide ongoing education um, to each other in relation to the activities that we're seeing across the industry. Um, and very much AOF is not just about retail, it's about all industry sectors. It, it's quite wide. So, Jackie, how quickly is it changing? Because I feel like there's so many, there's so much going on at the moment. Um, you know, we're 
here in Australia, we've got shutdowns. New Zealand have got shutdowns. Um, who knows what's going to happen in the Northern Hemisphere in coming into their winter. Is it changing literally minute by minute? Is it that dynamic? Well, certainly uh, it is changing at a rapid rate. I'm not sure minute by minute, but probably <laughs> hour by hour might be <laughs> an accurate statement. Um, yeah, we've seen such um, changes. Um, whenever there's something that happens in the world, uh, online fraud changes. Um, offenders change their methods. They change their, their processes. Um, they identify new victims. Um, so we have seen a lot of changes, particularly um, in the last year or so, um, when we think about scams, for instance, um, 2020 was a record year uh, for scams here in Australia. Um, you know, I think it was something like $850 million um, lost in, in 2020, which was, you know, a record-breaking wow. uh, year for us. Now, that might be two things. One, it might be that people are increasingly reporting, um, which would be great um, because that's how we're going to tackle this problem, by knowing more about it. Like Neil said, um, you know, we need all the expertise we can get uh, in terms of understanding uh, what's going on and how to tackle it and bringing together stakeholders from diverse spheres mm -hmm. is really the way we're going, going to beat this thing. Um, but, yeah, COVID has certainly seen an explosion uh, of online fraud and, in particular, uh, those scams. So I think there was a report the other day that talked about um, health and medical scams in 2020 uh, increased by 2,000%. Wow. Um, yeah, and that makes sense when That's we talk scary about scary though. Isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely scary. Makes sense when we're in a health pandemic. Um, but it just shows you how offenders take advantage of what's happening in the world um for as we often say, for evil opposed to opposed to good. Um so yeah, it's it's a massive explosion and a changing, changing landscape. Imagine if they use their evil for good. Yes, I know. <laughs> you could harness that power, exactly. <laughs> We'd probably see the end of poverty and everything. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Neil, um, can you give me an overview of AOS? Who's involved? How can people get involved? Yeah, look, um, thanks, Nicole. Um, we're, AOS has been going for, I'd like to say, around seven years Um at the moment, and um, it is really made up of um, some key industry people from different verticals and sectors who are obviously fraud um, uh, professionals in their own right and um, working across a, a large segment um, of, of different um, industries. So, you know, to give you some indication, we've got um, expertise from the retail industry, we've got some banking and finance. Um, historically, we've even had airline, um, we've had gaming, we've had um, uh, solution providers um, supporting that and and recently um, probably the last few years um, we've had obviously um, with Jackie who's on the on the podcast at the moment had the academia um, lens also looking at it and obviously from time to time we have um, the relationships um, with law enforcement who pay a very active interest because reality is they're, they're very keen on learning too and seeing what um, commercial entities are seeing and experiencing and crime risks and trends that are, are occurring across um, different industry sectors um, as well. So AOF's, AOF's um, quite exciting in the fact that when, when I look at the sort of um, professionals that are, attend our events, um, we've got everything from telco to insurance to utilities to hospitality to gaming to marketplace providers, et cetera, um, who are all very um, interested in obviously learning about current um, and evolving key risks and trends within the industry. 
Um, if you look over time, um, we generally host um, face-to-face events has sort of been our our, um, our core strategy. Did we all? Oh, my God. <laughs> but, but obviously, that's taken a turn um, for, um, you know, as a result of COVID. And we've obviously, um, like everybody else, have been forced um, into a, a more virtual environment where we've um, supported um, events, uh, webinars, uh, you know, obviously talking on podcasts, all that sort of stuff. Um, and uh, we've continued um, on in that vein. Um, but Essentially, as mentioned, the, the key purpose of what we're trying to do is bring like-minded professionals together to allow a forum of education and collaboration so we can identify a current and future harm that's impacting all industries um, and uh, bringing awareness to those, those topics. So that, in a nutshell, is what AOF's about, and we, we very much um, are active all year round and that the primary way that uh, people can uh, see what we're up to or, or follow is um, via our off LinkedIn page. It, it's fairly unique that this type of behaviour is crossing so many different vertical markets. Like it's not, you know, we're not obviously just talking about retail here. We're talking, it, you know, everyone seems to get hit or can get hit in some way, shape or form with um, online fraud. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, look, absolutely. Um, not about just online fraud. There's all the cyber risks that also obviously exist out there um, as well. And so I does, think- does AOF cover the, the cyber crime as well? Uh, look, absolutely. Some some of the um, they they interlink um, between each other. We're not a group that's just, for example, interested in card not present fraud as an example through online sales channels, etc. You know, we often talk about and consider other um, risks and threats to the business around. Um, email scams or, you know, other types of identity fraud offences or, um, you know, whether it be might be spoofing or spear phishing or all these other great terms that you hear of um, in the industry. Um, they're all things that are of consideration, but ultimately it comes down to what are, what are the risks or the online fraud risks that businesses um, that we're engaged with are seeing, experiencing, causing financial harm, not only to their organisations, but maybe their brands or their customers, um, and, and having a really good lens around what that is. Because as, as we've talked about before, it is ever-evolving and changing, and we need to keep um, as well up-to-date as we possibly can in relation to those fraud trends that um, industry is experiencing and seeing. So, Jackie, how can people get involved if they're not already involved in AOF? Yeah, as uh, Neil mentioned, we have uh, LinkedIn groups. So if people want to jump on there and join. So we're regularly sort of updating information, um, you know, putting recent trends out there, reports that come out, um, we post on there. So one of our key aims, as Neil talked about before, is education. Mm -hmm. So we certainly try to put information out there that is keeping people abreast of what's happening and what we think would be um, of interest to the the people who join our group. Um, And it's also really about um, we're wanting to build the network. So we've talked about already the fact that this is uh, a context in which we need lots of different skill sets. And, I mean, certainly I know um, being an academic and working with law enforcement that, you know, now being on the, the forum is that I get exposure to um, the views 
and what people take away um, from a different skill set and different people in different industries look at the problem um, a little bit through a different lens. Yep. And what that does is it really um, seeds some fresh ideas about, um, you know, t- talking to someone else about how they're tackling, say, a phishing scam, sometimes then gives you ideas about, well, in, in my context, I, I do a lot of work around romance fraud, that some of the ideas, some of the prevention strategies, um, I could adapt to the online fraud or online crime type that I look at. And so we've really found that uh, over the years, particularly when we were lucky enough to have those face-to-face <laughs> forums and sessions, um, that um, people just, you know, made great connections and great networks. Yeah. Um, and People continue to connect via the LinkedIn site, but also offline. So we know that, you know, that it sparks other sort of subgroups as well um, that sort of have a particular interest um, in a particular area and that sort of have connected them together other than just being part of our group. Yep. It's hard not having those um, in-person sessions. I know with PPFF, you know, it's such a good networking experience for loss prevention as it would be in your uh, for your guys, for anyone who's involved in um, mm. online fraud. And uh, to only be able to do that online, like it's great that we can now use Zoom and Teams and all those those uh, fun things and still see each other, but it's so hard to get that network connection. Yes, mm. we're, we're all about being online, but we still love being face-to-face <laughs> as well. We're still biased to see each other face-to-face. <laughs> so, Neil, tell me, what are some of the current retail fraud trends in Australia? Yeah, look, uh, thanks, Nicole. It's a, it's a really good question. And as I talked about before, you know, um, there, there's a very large variety of them um, around at the moment, but I'll probably just talk to a number of ones that I obviously common see, commonly see with the retailers that um, I get involved with. So I think it's fairly safe to say that card not present fraud or online you know, use of skimmed credit cards or compromised credit card details um, continues to be um, the, one of the most significant issues that retailers are facing into. Um, there's a lot of um, work that retailers do on a daily basis to manage the risk of um, e-commerce related fraud impacting their websites. Um, and, and it's honestly, it's a it's a consistent challenge um, for businesses that, um, particularly significant businesses that operate in that space. Um, and, 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 and similarly, smaller retailers who are not as fortunate to have large structures or specialised skills or or technologies, um, you know, some of these fraud impacts can be quite financially devastating uh, because of their, they don't have the same capabilities um, to defend these problems. Hence why education um, of, of these um, retailers in all of these settings is of so much of critical importance. Um, obviously, um, also identity theft-related incidents, account takeover-related incidents, um, also, you know, at the forefront of a lot of activity that we're seeing out there at the moment. Um, you know, there's some talk, and I've heard other industry people talk before, that the, the value of the account takeover is, you know, can be far greater than just the odd compromised credit card here and there. It can obviously, um, you know, achieve a lot more um, nefarious outcomes uh, when those sort of issues happen. We're also seeing a lot of um, other people starting to talk more heavily about refund fraud in particular um, across the networks um, in the retail space. And I think that this is just a mm, probably something that probably existed, but now that 
e-commerce is so large across the retail industry, a lot of these um, a lot of these issues are being um, more readily identified because of the volumes of transactions that we're seeing in this space and um, retailers um, becoming more 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 accustomed and working in the e-commerce space. And I know from just talking to loss prevention practitioners. They've really had to ad- adapt, evolve, learn new things very quickly. Um, you know, a lot of cases, like if I just look around Victoria at the moment, there's lots of bricks and mortar stores closed. So they're only doing click and collect. They're doing on online. And they because the sales channel of online is primarily all that's left, you know, they're not worried about the person um, coming in and stealing from the selling floor. They're investing a lot more time into understanding fraud risks that exist within their online spaces and they're getting into a lot more detail. Um, and that detail extends a lot further than just the transactions on the website. They're getting more involved in the detail of the supply chain, the delivery, the lost um, parcels or stolen or um, parcels in part of the courier process or customers claiming that they haven't received parcels, et cetera. So there is a lot more happening in this space and a lot more focus on this channel than I think there has ever been historically um, just purely because of the inherent need to do this well now um, and it becoming such a primary vehicle um, of retailing. So, Jackie, do you think for the retailers that didn't have an online platform up until, you know, March or April of last year, were they, and this may be a stupid question, but were they, because they didn't have the background of people behind them, they didn't have necessarily the technology to help them with their fraud, online fraud, were they hit hardest, the quickest? Mm. So we know that, that offenders love easy targets and they're very good at identifying and, and seeking out who the easy targets are likely to be. Uh, and that certainly would be what we suspect would be the case, that they're looking at um, particularly those small to medium businesses that had to very quickly move online as well. Yeah. So it wasn't something that, you know, you could plan. And so many businesses, you know, when they, they're going to move into the online space would actually have quite a significant lead time to make sure their systems are going to work, um, make sure that, you know, their customers' data is safe, that their payment systems and gateways are, are going to work appropriately um, because, you know, that's the, the lifeblood of their business to, to provide good customer service. So, um, yeah, the speed at which um, those retailers, I guess, had to move into the online environment would have created a really big vulnerability um, for those businesses to be attacked by offenders who are, are seeking out um, and looking for those those targets. Um, and you- what about hospitality as well? Because they really had to pivot very quickly to suddenly become a an online, not just through Uber, but if you wanted to order directly through them, or suddenly you know, there's suddenly we see. Um, businesses like Providor come up where, you know, they're looking after a whole lot of businesses, you know, that I would think normally takes time to get up and running. And all of a sudden, like within weeks, they've got to get it done. Yes. Surely that would have been a a target. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, and then they had to pivot very quickly because it was, it was otherwise you, you make money or you don't when yep. everyone's in lockdown. Um, that is actually your only option. It's not, um, you know, it's going to be half of your business. For hospitality, it was, you know, 100% of their business um, mm. in a very quick time period. Um, but, yeah, I guess uh, 
thinking about the the retailers, but also more generally, you know, people working from home as well. Um, we had businesses that were being targeted because people were now, you know, uh, connecting in through their home Wi-Fi networks. Um, Organisations may not have had appropriate, um, you know, VPNs and a whole range of things set up for their their workers to be able to access um, securely Mm -hmm. um, into the organisation by working at home. The other thing it raises for me, Nicole, I guess, is when you were talking about the retailers and the hospitality industry, is also it took quite a long time here in Queensland for us to get a government check-in app. Um, So that was a concern um, for me because I'm paranoid, but a whole range of other people as well, I think, about each um, little small business was signing up um, to these um, QR code companies. Um, Where was our data going? How was it being used? Um, What sort of security was on that data? And we were forced, and I do a lot of work with individual victims and not just businesses, um, thinking from an individual perspective of if I wanted to go to a cafe, um, I had to check in. I had to give my data. It took away, um, I guess, uh, my sensitivity to giving away my data. If I wanted to do something, I had to give away some privacy and data and I didn't know where that information was going. Mm. Um, so I would be really interested to see and, and I've got some, um, you know, a little bit of evidence by, by talking to a few people about uh, the increase in, say, scam phone calls after we had um, those sort of check-ins. Um, wow. So increase in scam phone calls, increase in phishing attempts. Now, are we putting two and two together and getting five? Not sure. Um, But it seems very coincidental that we started to give away our phone number and our email address through those sort of um, apps and check-in devices. Um, And then suddenly there seemed to be, certainly even just talking to friends of mine, an increase in being targeted by scam phone calls. Yeah, that's that's frightening. Mm. Um, I I feel like Victoria is probably worse as far as their check-in because there was a whole lot of stuff going on last year that we, our check-in really didn't happen until we didn't get a Victoria State one until mm. I want to say November, December. Mm. Mm. Yes, I- same with us. We, we were very late in getting um, the government endorsed. So, you know, the fact that it's a government endorsed app, I feel a little bit more comfortable about that. Um, but, you know, yeah, the small businesses were forced to um, to just sign up themselves yeah. uh, to these companies providing a service where they probably had little um, transparency on where that data was going and how to and how they were protecting their customers they were asking to sign into those apps. Yeah, that's frightening. It, it certainly was a good a good stance the government did take around centralising that though because, you know, Nicole, you and I and, and, and Nick are obviously here in Victoria and <laughs> we, we all had our experience of different QR code platforms and, you know, the how, how much they varied in relation to different information that they asked for. So, but I think it it's also very similar when you tie it back to the conversation we just had in relation to were certain retailers more exposed, you know, when they had to pivot quickly. You know, the answer is absolutely yes. It is all risk-based decisions were occurring um, across retailers. They were going, do I take the risk and get into this channel quickly or do I sink? Yeah. So they probably took larger risks than they normally would have because of the urgency associated with getting something in place quickly. And similarly, the QR code thing's a very similar example, I would imagine. But there were a couple of 
big retailers, you know, that hadn't didn't have an online platform here that suddenly had to build one and get it up and running in a very mm. quick time. Yeah, yeah. No, to- totally agree. Um, it's it's a very interesting topic, and I think once the the all the dust settles on this event globally that we're going through, I think the academics are going to have a field day with pulling it apart and and taking some great learnings away from all the things that have transpired and all the things that we've been challenged with. We've had to navigate what we've learned, where we've failed, what we did good, what we did badly. Uh, It's it's an amazing case study for future um, improvement. Mm, Absolutely. So, Neil, what are some of the fraud risk exposures that retailers have to deal with? Look, I think, um, and if I just keep it very high level, it's, I mean, we've obviously talked through, there is a whole gamut of scams um, and online fraud risks, whether it be, you know, in the e-commerce space, whether it be cyber, whether it be, you know, other scams that um, Jackie just briefly touched on, whether it's gift card scams or, you know, um, you can go to, you know, great government websites like Scamwatch and and research all the variations that are currently out there at the moment. You know, as a fraud professional and a and a, a security and risk consultant, you know, it, I, I must hear that something new every every month or every second week and you always sort of go, you nod your head and you go, yeah, but in the background you're furiously Googling what that meant <laughs> uh, uh, in relation to understanding what that particular scam is or, or you're, you're learning and, a bit like triangular to, fraud, isn't it, Neil? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, that stumped a few people. But um, interestingly enough, um, Nicole, we're going to have a great unplugged um, profit protection event coming up about that where we're going to talk about that. And I think that's a really important one for retailers to understand, which puts a bit of a slant of uh, fraud risk exposure change that retailers probably need to be aware of as well. Yeah. Um, but we'll obviously get into that. But from a fraud risk exposure point of view, If we just put the types of fraud to the side for one second, to me, the exposures predominantly predominantly in retail come from really a lack of understanding the risk, taking action, planning, looking at where the exposures are, monitoring, collecting the evidence and really determining where you are at risk. That's generally what creates the exposures. Um, And if you're not on top of this topic... Um, that we have talked about consistently in this podcast is ever-evolving. You're just in a constant state of learning. Um, The attack can be local. It can be international. This is a topic that any retailer or any commercial industry or business cannot ignore. It is too critically important. I would have thought retailers would have been pretty good at getting on top of it, given that a lot of them have had an online selling platform for a number of years now. Absolutely. Um, And there are um, people or industry that I deal with that do an absolute amazing job at this and are so mature in regards to their fraud risk positioning and their profile and how they defend against these risks. And there are so many Um, whether it be professional businesses, service providers, um, technology providers that do an amazing job to defend not only retail but all of these 
industry um, uh, industries out there in relation to fraud risk exposures. Um, they do an amazing job, um, but there are times when businesses don't assess their risk profile properly and unfortunately they become or they ignore it or they don't understand it and they become victim to these problems and mm. that the maturity of organizations these days you know where I've, I've I've been in exposed to smaller ones medium ones bigger ones the ones that do it well are actively they've got the right culture around it they're talking to it they're aware of the issues they're providing great internal guidance leadership learning um, you know their people are off at industry events they're not sitting back they're they're proactively understanding the problem whether it be um, internal or external and they are doing everything they can to make sure that their businesses are well protected from any of these threats that come from an online um, source. So Jackie, I hear that you have got a survey coming up for the industry. Can you yeah. tell me a bit about it? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, we do have a survey coming out very soon um, and it'll be uh, available on our LinkedIn um, page, which we've talked about before, the Australian Online Fraud Forum um, LinkedIn page. Um, and we'd love people to get involved uh, in the survey. The point of the survey, I guess, is twofold. Um, firstly, it's about um, collecting data and collecting information from those people out there on the ground um, about what they're seeing in the online fraud space uh, in terms of what are the current trends, what are the current challenges. Um, so as we've mentioned before, the forum really wants to bring together the voices of a diverse range of people, industries and skill sets. So we're hoping to get a really um, good penetration in terms of um, who fills out our survey across um, a, a wide scope uh -huh. uh, of industries and people. Um, that are involved in the online fraud space to get um, a sense of what the trends are um, because it is fast moving and we, we want to go to the source of the people that are out there on the coalface. The other uh, aspect of the survey uh, is also to uh, collect information from people about how they would like um, to engage with us in the forum and how we can provide resources, support. So essentially, what do those people working um, in any way, it may be, however they're connected to online fraud, uh, prevention and reaction, uh, how can we as a forum provide a place where they can come and network, um, gain knowledge, gain skills, and what, what do they want? Um, what can we provide that would be helpful um, in, you know, all working together um, and using our, our skills for, for good, not evil? <laughs> so, so tell me, when do you anticipate this is going to come out? Uh, we, we hope for it to come out um, by the end of the week. Correct. Um, yes. Awesome. We're launching. So, um, but, you know, keep checking in. Sometimes we have uh, technological issues. <laughs> <laughs> you never quite know what's going to happen. Um, but what we would love people to do is if you um, join um, the group, you'll certainly then be notified um, of when it's, um, when it's available. And also um, we have a survey on there, just a little short survey about um, whether people are keen on participating um, in, in this upcoming survey as well. So it's just sort of a yes, no question. Would you be interested in filling out a survey for us um, on the things that we've just talked about? Um, and, you know, people can uh, put their email there 
um, as part of the, the answer to that survey, and we can then directly communicate uh, with those that are interested. So you'll go on our um, list, our mailing list, or, you know, electronic mailing list, uh, and you'll find out not only when the survey's available, but also when our upcoming um, forums are on, if we have podcasts. So you'll, you'll be kept in the loop. Um, so it'd be great. We'd really encourage people um, to join up to the group. And how, how long does the survey take to complete? Because that's can, everyone. Can, I, can I give you? I'll give you the exact answer to this. So oh, we're, here we go. <laughs> we, we're, we're about thirty-five questions deep, and I actually did the survey this morning, and it took me um, just under fifteen minutes. Oh, perfect! <clears throat> yeah, so it was um, it was actually pretty straightforward, um, well constructed, I must say, Jackie. Uh, in relation to <laughs> <laughs> it helps when you've uh, got an academic it, doing that. Yeah, it certainly does. <laughs> But, um, look, I, I think um, Jackie absolutely nailed it. And one of the things that we're super um, excited about, you know, in relation to getting that data back is it can really um, form the path of what we present or industry experts that we bring. Um, and what we would love, obviously, is that if we can get out the other side of um, this uh, pandemic is to get back to face-to-face -face conferences, because we used to have about 100 people um, attend those um, uh, industry events. It was a very it was a great, it was a great um, collaboration session. And um, if we get good information back in this uh, survey and we really understand the challenges and the needs of what people are dealing with at the moment, um, it's a great way for us to um, govern what we put together in the future, whether it be webinars or face-to-face -face events, et cetera, to make sure our audience is getting what they actually want. Yeah. Um, so that's really important to us. So, well, that was that leads me to my next question: Is what events do you guys have coming up for AOF in the, this uh, financial year? Yeah, so um, we've obviously um, we were hanging out um, and we were looking at what what was available um, for us to do. But the reality is, at the moment, under the current constraints, we're obviously limited to online events and webinars. So that's that's where we're going to stay for a while. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, at the at this moment. Um, the, the survey is key um, to understanding what the um, the people interacting with the forum actually want. Um, and we've even got questions in the forum about, um, you know, frequency of how often they would like to engage, the vehicles in which they'd like to engage us through. So once we have that survey completed out and we've got a really good understanding of where we're at, we'll, um, we'll, we'll communicate more broadly through our LinkedIn page around the upcoming events and what people would like to see. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, we, we can envisage that uh, once we get that survey data back in that, you know, we're, we'll be in a position to maybe have a, a webinar or some online event where we can feed back to those that have participated in the survey about what we found yeah. and, you know, hopefully have some uh, interactive forum happening um, so we can get feedback on what we've found um, in terms of, you know, are we on the right track in in terms of what we've garnered from from our survey results? So uh, I think that you know certainly probably one of our next events will be you know this is the state of play um, that we were able to determine um, from the survey, which I think will be really interesting uh, because it's as I said going to the people that are out there on the front line yeah. and getting mm. to the really key issues that need to be addressed. Yeah, and it's always a hot topic. Always. Mm. Well, one thing I'm excited about, Nicole, is um, 
getting perspectives from different people um, in different seniority uh, in different levels of seniority in their businesses because mm-hmm. you know generally at these forums we always hear from the senior managers or the head of or you know of that nature and it's it's generally but um, you know, a, a pretty consistent message but I really love and and it's not just AOF PPFF as well um, really love hearing from the people who have only been in the industry a short time or developing their careers or moving through the industry and really understanding what do they need? You know, whether it be professional development, mentoring, um, what 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 are we doing to actually build the future for tomorrow of continued experts within the industry and giving them what they actually need to be successful um, in the field that we obviously um, are involved with. So, yeah, that's um, always exciting to to go through these surveys and see and, and collect information and and um, actually come back to, you know, your core audience with what they actually want. Um, yeah. So we're really excited about that. Fantastic. So we're encouraging people, Nicole, to fill out the survey themselves and also encourage a friend. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So you fill it out. Get a friend on board. I don't think, is that a Ponzi scheme? Maybe, but we're <laughs> not, not offering any prizes, sorry. So. <laughs> the more the merrier. The more information you have, the better equipped you are. So, and I think everyone is, you know, particularly in online, like there's, it's so dynamic that I think people, they need whatever you know now probably isn't relevant in a month's time. Like it, they need it. You need to have that information so that you're equipped to do and to fight the bad guys, to fight the fraudsters. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I know that um, the ACCC have, um, you know, in response to to COVID, they've set up specific pages around, you know, COVID-related scams. So Mm. I think... um, we are realising more as a community that we have to keep up the pace. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, we can't wait six months um, to start talking about these things. We have to have our finger on the pulse right now um, and a way to do that is engaging with each other um, because the people on the ground are the first ones to see it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you don't know that it's a trend, obviously, until you start hearing about other people in your industry that are having the same issue. Um, and then we're like, oh, light bulb moment, this is something that's happening. Um, This is not a one-off. So I think that that collection of knowledge uh, is something that that probably we need to get better at, and, you know, this is one one avenue of trying to to get that collective voice um, together. And you often see, like I see on... um platforms like Facebook and Instagram, Victoria Police will often do, you know, be careful, this is a scam alert. And um, and I'm sure the other police uh, do the same thing as well. But, you know, you need to use different platforms to, to get to cover so many different people. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean, the, the offenders are operating on all these different platforms. Um, so, yeah, we need to be operating um, on the platforms as well to give the warning and the advice. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, I mean, anything that that um, ever comes up in terms of, you know, COVID and the government um, scams that have, that have been happening um, around early release of super and, you know, it's in every single um, organisation, big or small, can be attacked. Yeah. Um, 
So people need to know that. They need to know with currency um, what's the latest trend that, you know, victims themselves, I mean, I, I say this all the time, we as potential victims are the ones best placed to protect ourselves. Um, so getting that information out there is critical to, to driving down the prevalence of these types of crimes. It's really our best defence is mm. more knowledge is more power. Yeah, yep. 100%. I think um, just to top that up a little bit, I've, I've noticed, and whether you guys agree, Jackie, um, the speed in which what you just talked about, whether it's, you know, you know, New South Wales Police or Victoria Police or um, Scamwatch we talked about or, you know, the Australian Cyber Security Centre, um, through their social media, they are spending a lot more time on education, awareness and prevention now than probably they ever have before. Um, I see it in my feeds all the time. Obviously, I like it and follow it, so it's, it's more pertinent. But it's great to see government in particular starting to really um, come forward with a lot more education in relation to the risks within this space. So I just wanted to call that out. It's, it's been actually quite notable uh, from my perspective and, um, yeah, super encourage um, the work that they're doing and um, believe it be very beneficial for industry, um, not only the general public as well. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, PPFF, we have an unplugged session coming up on the 17th of September and Jackie is our special guest speaker and we're going to be taking a deep dive into online fraud because it is such a hot topic. So, Neil, do you want to give people a, a bit of a teaser about what's going to be discussed? Because uh, Neil and uh, Michael Townsley, who's one of our other um, PPFF committee members, will be co-hosting, who's also at Griffith University. Yeah, thanks, Nicole, and thanks for um, nominating me to host that event. Really appreciate <laughs> that as well. Um, but, um, yeah, in all seriousness, um, it it is probably um, the content that we've talked about here today, obviously in a lot more detail, and actually, obviously, it is a um, an event for professionals. So um, through the PPFF, it will be a... a uh, invited and approved event, so to speak, um, and we'll have industry professionals there talking about their experiences um, and what we're seeing in that space. And I think, uh, Nicole, you talked about a, a few little issues that we will talk about. Triangulation fraud came up and um, we um, will be talking through that and give retailers some, I guess, uh, good context around what that is and what we're seeing and what's been experienced recently um, in the retail industry. Um, but also part of this process is, you know, just sort of talk about um, we've got this problem. It, it's really about um, what's out there, what, what is considered, you know, best practice in relation to dealing with some of these issues that are facing organisations. Um and, and my experience has been in relation to these um, events is that obviously everybody's coming from um, a, a position where they obviously want to do their best to protect their organisations. And whilst there might be slight differences in relation to their trading platforms or, you know, the industries that they represent, there's a lot of commonality in the themes and problems that we're seeing. So um, we are talking about a, a topic, you know, crime is non-competitive um, and obviously we all have a vested interest in controlling risks that impact um, our business as a result of financial harm and criminality. Perfect. So 
Guys, we've reached the final countdown, the last three questions. Neil, I spoke to you a couple of weeks ago, so I'm going to ask these to Jackie. Thank God. <laughs> Jackie, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Jackie is in Queensland, so she has been lucky to not have as many lockdowns or long lockdowns as what Victoria and New South Wales have had. But yeah. what were the positives that came out of lockdown 2020 for you? I think one of the positives um, which sometimes I see as a negative is not travelling so much, um, being able to um, be at home for, for longer than, than usual, um, for longer periods of time, and being able to really, I guess, um, spend that time uh, with family that often we get really busy and um, we're, we're busy off um, on trips and work, work events and a whole range of things. So it's actually been um, quite a positive thing to be able to just, I guess, settle down into to home life for, for a bit of a, a longer period of time than usual. And did you learn any new talents in 2020 lockdown? New talents. Well, I think one talent was negotiating the 755 million online platforms that we <laughs> have to use because every organisation has a different way to meet and greet. Um, so <laughs> I have increased my technological ability uh, during lockdown. And I think the other talent is that uh, we're wearing masks, so we're not locked down, but we're wearing masks a lot here in Queensland now is the other talent is expressive eyes <laughs> um, because I realise how much that, you know, you rely on smiling yes. or um, other parts of your face to, to communicate with people and it's been really fascinating that, um, yeah, we've had to find new ways of nonverbal communication that we're not used to. So um, I've been trying to perfect that over the last uh, few weeks since we've been wearing our masks. Oh, well, if you could share that with me, that'd be great because I see a lot of dead eyes here in Melbourne. I think that's just lockdown. We're just sick of it. So. Mm. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, either, it's either the mask or it's an actual emotion. Like, <laughs> one or the other, we're not sure. <laughs> and uh, Jackie, if you look into your crystal ball, what's the future of online fraud? I think that, that we're never going to be um, out of a job in online fraud, unfortunately. Um, but I think looking into the crystal ball is that uh, we're getting much better at um, understanding that multidisciplinary nature of this problem and this crime problem um, and working together for solutions. So I've seen um, a real growth over the last few years once we went into COVID and, you know, online fraud exploded about a real motivation of people to work together. Um, so I think in the crystal ball that um, we're going to fight the good fight um, and we'll probably um, make some good inroads in the next few years as we, we learn together um, how to combat this crime problem. Mm, absolutely. Uh, Jackie and Neil, thank you so much for your time today and updating me on AOFS activities. Um, this, this topic of online fraud, I think I say it every time we speak about it, is just getting bigger and bigger and it's really growing at an exponential uh, rate. So, and to be honest with you both, I'm not sure how our retail loss prevention specialists manage such a dynamic environment along with everything else they do, particularly when they have to look after internal fraud, external fraud, bricks and mortar and all of that stuff. So yeah, they um, do an amazing job. They do an incredible job. Yeah. 
Um, don't forget that we have the PP Unplugged webinar on Friday the 17th of September from 10am till 11am featuring our PPFF committee and Dr Jacqueline Drew. So bring a cup of tea or coffee and come and listen to our experts share information on this subject. If you'd like to get in touch with Jackie or Neil, you can find both of them on LinkedIn or you can email Jackie at j.drew at griffith.edu.au or Neil at neil at redfernretailrisk.com and we will put both Jackie and Neil's contact details in the show notes. You can subscribe to the weekly podcast via iTunes, Google Podcasts and Spotify and there's a link to download episodes and show notes on the PPFF website. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the Profit Protection Future Forum. It is written by myself, Nicole Smith, and produced by Nicholas Lauby. We will be back next week to keep talking all things profit protection. Thanks for listening to Retails, conversations with profit protection. If you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe via iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you want to find out more about the Profit Protection Future Forum, head to profitprotection.co or find us on LinkedIn. Drop us a message on info at profit protection.co with feedback on our show.